This is an ABC podcast. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. Good afternoon. Welcome to The Country Hour. I'm Cassie Huff with you today. I've hit the Mallee Highway, headed east from Adelaide to Perilla in the Mallee for a very special event today. I've driven past some golden wheat crops and sandy hills to get to a gigantic shed or series of sheds not far off the highway. It's a, it's a big facility here. It's about halfway between Perilla and Pinaroo and it is the site of the largest potato packing facility of its kind in the Southern Hemisphere. This $45 million warehouse, it's, gosh, the size of a, a football field almost. It has packing and warehouse, just about everything, all under one roof. Uh, and it's, it's owned by the Pye family. It's taken about 18 months to build. And soon I'll explain a little bit more about the operation that is underway here. It's taken processing out of the Northern Adelaide Plains out to these vast open plains of the Southern Mallee and uh, there's a lot of activity here that I will bring you in the next half hour or so. But first of all, I thought I'd talk about what is still probably the main industry in this part of the world and that is grain production because there are crops as far as the eye can see virtually as you drive along the Mallee Highway at the moment. Unfortunately some are looking a little banged up uh, but they are big crops for this part of the world but some hail has gone through, rain's caused some issues so to get a sense of how the grain harvest is shaping up after one of the wettest uh, springs, perhaps the wettest spring on record. I'm joined by Bill O'Driscoll who is the Broadacre and Livestock Manager here at Pie Farms. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Don't normally see this much water on the side of the road. No, it's been very wet, especially um, September, October, November. Um, well, it would have been at least 100 mils of rain each month. Goodness. Probably even more and only halfway through November. So, yeah, very wet. And, <coughs> I mean, maybe if you're uh, in the southeast or the York Peninsula, yeah. something, you might be used to that, but the Mallee country isn't really used to that, is no, it? No, no, it's um, very wet for us. We're usually dry finishes, so it's very nice to have a wet finish, but, yeah, it's looking like it's not going to stop, so... And it's still quite green in some places. You'd normally be harvesting by now, wouldn't you? Yeah, we've made a start last week with some harvest before the last rain event, um, some early sown stuff. But, yeah, most people will be waiting to get going, wait for it to dry out. Seem to be in a pattern of a, a big rain event comes through nearly every week, 10 days. Absolutely. it's uh, It's been remarkable. How is the... Um quality looking with all this rain? Well, each rain event makes it a bit worse, I think. Um, it's already got black tip on it. Um, I know there's a lot That's on the wheat? On the barley. On the barley. Barley, yeah, gets stained and it starts to lose weight each rain event. I think the riper the crops, the more damage the rain does. So any later green crops would probably be still benefiting a bit. But and yeah. did you find with your barley that, because I was speaking to some people who, who found that after that rain perhaps a, a month or so ago, their barley actually started to re-tiller and, yeah. and put on more heads. Yeah, did you have that? Of, yeah, some of that happened. Um, you can spray some of that off to get going early. A um, few people have done that. But yeah it's, um, yeah, it's been unusually wet. What about pulses and oil seeds? I know you're largely a cereal-based program here, but you do have some pulses Yeah, we normally have lentils. We didn't sow any this year because there was no subsoil moisture early in the year. But the crops that are around are really good, like two to three tonnes. They're looking at $700 a tonne be a good return, but I'm not sure if they're going to get dry enough to harvest them or I don't think they've been desiccated yet. So 
They've got to get through this. Yeah, yeah, if they could get that in the bin, it'll be a big return. So I think there's a lot of people looking to the skies. And, and how important is a big crop for the Mallee after what's been a few tough years? Yeah, it's been uh, fairly important. Most people, areas are the same. Um, we are pretty fairly light last year. The year before wasn't too bad from memory. So, um, yeah, it's a big crop out there. Just getting it in the bin and get this rain to stop would be good. Oh, the end's in sight, but yeah. there's this big hurdle in the way. There is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, just getting a sense from farmers in the area, how have you gone getting workers? Because it has been pretty tight this year to try yeah. and find workers. Yeah, it's been tough. I think they're actually, for here, the haughty side, I think they're actually going okay at the moment. But I know the last 12 months have been fairly challenging. Just, And I think they've freed up the visas a little bit, but not much. Not much. Yeah. And uh, are you expecting to see much traffic on the roads? Because I know there's a bit of concern about some of the roads around this part of the world as well. Yeah, the back roads. And now there's, we've got a farm over the border and there's two puddles there would be 200 metres long like a river. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's almost impassable in places. Yeah, right. So, and the paddocks are going to be the same. There's going to be stuck headers and chaser bins and as it goes, but... We've got to get on there first. Do you think there's enough capacity in the, the silos to handle the amount of grain that could come off, given they did shut down a few sites? I know they have reopened some. Yeah, it's going to be tricky. I think Viterra will possibly just keep making bunkers if need be. They um, have the capacity? Because Spinner is a pretty big receiver. Yeah, and Tail and Bend, fairly big. Mm-hmm. We can drop a lot in there. So So uh, you can go between the two? Yeah, yeah. We, we deliver to Pinaru, Tail and Bend, uh, Big River and Murray Bridge, a few places. The big focus at the moment is obviously on the grain harvest, but yeah. you have quite a lot of livestock here as well. How have they gone with this, this wet weather? Well, the, because of the wet spring and the amount of feed we've had, it's been really good feed-wise. Um, the sheep are looking really good. And uh, and they're prime lambs, largely? Prime lambs, yeah. Merinos with white Suffolk lambs. and The lamb price has been really good if you can get them up to weight. Getting them down to Narracourt? Yeah, a lot of them go to JBS Border Town and uh, sell them over the hooks or... On farm price, yeah. So, so you, you've you've kicked off harvest, but you haven't really started in earnest. When do you, when do you expect it's going to really ramp up? Oh, whenever it dries out, we might get a go this week. Okay. We had three or four days last week, which was good. Um, but yeah, it's ready to go now. With the amount of moisture that you've got now, you're obviously going to have a pretty busy summer getting on top of the weed burden. Yeah, yeah. Do you think you'll, I guess, how long's a piece of string? You don't know how hot it's going to get, but do you see yourself still having moisture to sow into next year? Yeah, well, that's the trick. If we can um, keep the summer weeds off, um, you're set up for next year already. But yeah, if it just keeps raining, <laughs> you have to get the timing right. If you've got big programs, you've got to get started. So then by the end of the program, where you started is already come green again so these sandy sort of soils that a lot of the mallee has how well does it hang on to that moisture um surprisingly well if you can keep the skeleton weed and summer weeds off they're the big users of the moisture so uh-huh. you can keep them off but it's pretty expensive spraying at the moment keeping them off with all the chemical prices and so what sort of tonnages do you think you're looking at uh for the barley with most of our barley is pretty good it'd be three to four ton i think yeah right possibly. there's a few lighter areas drag it back the wheat's generally pretty good so that's sort of last year's lentil ground. So a bit of nitrogen. Yeah, be a bit of nitrogen for next year. We've only got one patch of lupins ourselves this year and they look amazing if we can get them off. 
Well, it, it sounds like you're primed, ready to go. That's a big crop if, you, if you're able to get it all off. Just need these big, heavy clouds that are still hovering around here today yeah. to uh, maybe stay away for a, a couple of weeks. That's right. Month. With all the moisture inland everywhere in Australia, I think every event that comes over, it just seems to get wetter. It's feeding on itself, I think. Yeah, and there's, yeah. there's nowhere for it to go. It, the the um, profile's full. It's all That's sitting right. on top now. We're not as bad as the eastern states. They're in a lot of trouble over there. Yeah, yeah, so I hope South Australia is pretty well primed if, uh, yeah. if the, the rain can slow down. Well, thank you so much for a bit of an update on how things are looking in this part of the world. I know you're a busy man. You're looking quite relaxed here, but uh, I know you've got a, a lot on. So thank you so much for joining me today, Bill Okay, O'Driscoll. no worries. My pleasure. That's Bill O'Driscoll. He's the, uh, the farm manager here and uh, the broadacre and cropping uh, manager here at the uh, Pie Farms between Perilla and Lamaru, Pinaru, I should say. Uh, there's a lot of activity going on, so uh, we will get into more of what we're here to talk about soon, which is the potato production that Perilla is also famous for. That's coming up in the next 15 minutes as we uh, approach 14 minutes past 12. You're listening to Cassie Huff on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. We'll move away from uh, cropping for a moment. We were talking about livestock there a bit as well. It's <laughs> been a bit of a tricky time to get people to uh, through ha- um, shearing lately, but if you have been able to get wool off, all the wool bales in Australia will come fitted with electronic track- tracking from next year as the wool industry moves to a more traceable system. The electronic bale or eBale is an effort to eliminate paperwork and contains a QR code and a microchip that links to the information, including the type of wool, the quality test results, and the farm of origin. So it goes right back to where the wool was produced. Luke Radford spoke with AWEX CEO Mark Grave to see how the technology has evolved since it was tested commercially last year. All of the trials that we've done have absolutely been crucial in two aspects. One, to make sure that we have confidence in that technology, that it works not just on farm, but it works through the supply chain, through the dump, both here domestically and also overseas. So that's certainly number one. Number two is to make sure that we can roll it out across Australia at the same time. So what we've learned is, one, we have confidence in the technology, and number two, we have acceptance from the wool industry and stakeholders. That includes growers, we have it from the brokers and the warehouses that do the storing of the wool, but also from overseas, from our customers, both China and also in Europe. So what's the time frame at the moment with regards to the rollout next year? Well, I suppose the, the important part is the immediacy or the, the need has grown substantially since concerns about FMD outbreaks and also the biosecurity. And also now that traceability is such a big part of uh, every conversation across industries, but also with governments. So the rollout's going to happen a lot quicker than, than most people would have expected. So from the 1st of January this year, the new RFID or eBay label will be available to, to buy from by the manufacturers of Woolpacks. So I'm expecting that the first commercial batches of e-packs or e-bail packs will be coming into Australia around about February, March, probably March next year. And then from the 1st of July, only the e-bail pack will be able to be imported. So does that mean you physically won't be able to get an old pack past July without one of these tags? You won't be able to get them imported to Australia without the, without the tags, without the, tech, without the technology. But often there's a concern about, well, what do I do with my current pack or what do I do with my purchases that I've made 
this year or I still have lying in the shed. The existing packs will still be able to be used within the system and, and rolled out through through the coming months and years. So there's no, no issue with that. But there is a real interest and a real need to turn to technology as soon as we possibly can to embrace what we have and, to, and leverage the use of technology, not just in logistics and warehousing operations, but in terms of improving our traceability of wool through the supply chain. So forgive me here, I'm going to quote you back to yourself here. Uh, Buyers will be able to trace the product back to the farm, but equally the grower will be able to trace their product through the supply chain to see where it goes. Those systems still have to be developed, but this technology is the foundation or will be built upon. You said that last year while we were talking about this. Has that system been built yet? Part of it has been built. There is the ability to use the technology to provide provenance information. There are traceability systems that are being built, not only with ourselves, but I know with AWI and there'll be others as well. So it's still in that growth phase. The important part about the introduction of eBail is that it will also assist in making that happen. So it's a matter of starting that journey and and, uh, we want to start that as soon as possible. One of the other things we were talking about not long ago is the fact that you are combining your electronic wool information systems with those of AWI down the road. Is the goal to then implement that with this? Wool Clip Wool, which is the product we have for capturing the information and the wool data on farm, that will uh, give growers an option to transfer their information to Wool Q, which is the AWI product will certainly have the ability to, to utilise the information as it comes through. So I suppose putting putting everything in, in its place, number one is that we have the technology available not only for the unique ID but also to be able to capture it on farm and then transfer it to the broker or warehouse of choice and to WoolQ for those who want to use it for analytical and supply chain purposes beyond that. And just lastly, one of the other things you mentioned last year was that when it came to this technology, there was already interest from international partners who were looking to potentially adopt it in their industries. Has that taken a step forward now that you're going to roll it out fully in Australia? Absolutely. In fact, it was was a key part of the decision-making process for implementing eBail in the first place. As a board, the Wool Exchange directors said that uh, to roll it out, we need to have the support of stakeholders right throughout the industry. So in the last few weeks, I have written to all of the industry associations, both here and overseas, looking for support to implement eBail. And we've received it. We've a unanimous tick of support from uh, the Chinese processors and their industry association as well, as well as the Italian Wool Association, the Wool Trade Association, and all of that's really important to providing us the support to, as a as a country, to lead the world in this type of technology. AWEX CEO Mark Graves speaking there with Luke Radford about the rollout of the electronic wool bale next year and uh, we will head to the Riverland now where some Riverland irrigators are facing months without being able to pump as these increasingly high flows across the border threaten electricity supply. In addition, residents along Gara Road are appealing to the local council to help them maintain access to their properties amid all this flooding. One of the likely people affected is date grower Stephen Brewer who tells Eliza Burlach she's prepared as best he can. 
Well, at the moment, I'm looking at lifting the pump. Uh, got to make sure we keep irrigating if we can. But then on the same token, we're getting stories that the power will be shut off if, if a road floods or <laughs> we just like to know some certainties, what the level is and everything. So, And uh, what would that mean for you if, if the power was um, shut off? Well, besides the farm, we've got the personal. How, how do we live? <laughs> Bridges don't happen without electricity and um, we can't just pack up and leave and go somewhere else we've got that's going to be a huge cost and you've still got to operate the farm so if the electricity was cut because of the rising uh river flows it would yeah impact your your personal home as well as your your business operations yep yeah, yeah. Well, property we're at this stage unless it's a 56 we're not going to have any worries with water over the property but so we can still operate but yeah if we can't get water or no power to, to irrigate then things get a bit tough <laughs> Yeah, for the irrigation to your property, um, yeah, what what stage of the growing cycle are your crops in, and um, yeah, how how big are your operations? Well, we've still got we're just finishing pollination time, so it's still six well, February we start looking at harvest. So yeah, and you know, I've also put pumpkins in as well. So I won't be able to if I can't water them, they're not going to be any good either. So not much more I can say on that one. And so, and was the the dates that that just got pollinated that you'd be that you'd normally be harvesting in February? Was it? Yeah, dates I'd start harvesting end of February. So if you're not able to continue to irrigate them for for a period of time, where that's a few weeks or or more than a month, uh, yeah, what might that mean? Well, at the moment I'm thinking right, the water table's coming up, so I mean the dates might be able to put their feet in the water, so that might be okay because the salt levels aren't too bad. But I still like to be able to put the irrigation on and not just take a chance. Um, you still got to fertilise and everything, so. I guess there's been you know, a few other high river events uh, in other decades. Have any of those events uh, affected your property before? Back in 74, I was born, born and bred in the area, so we had a property down the lower part on opposite Mount's Road. Mum and Dad bought a property we're on now is 74 because it wasn't affected by a 74 flood level. So, But now they're talking maybe getting higher, higher than that. Well, property still won't be affected because more of the water problems, so the irrigation side of things... And, and the sort of take turn the power off us. Gara Gara date grower Steve Brewer speaking. And it's not only private irrigators facing issues with electricity outages. Central Irrigation Trust Chief Executive Greg McCarran says he's meeting with SA Power Networks to explore contingency plans for powering pumps amid high waters. So as we understand it, uh, it relates to, I suppose, two things. Impact on South Australian Power Networks, actual infrastructure, so where there are the poles and wires that traverse across the river or across floodplains or may be um, poles inundated by water. So if there was uh, any impact or damage to those poles, that might require the power to be turned off or where water levels increase so they, the gap between the water and the, and the wires is, is reduced significantly to increase risk, that, that might require South Australian Power Networks to turn, to turn supplies off. If the electricity supply were to be unavailable for the CIT's pumps, what would that mean for customers, especially for irrigators? Our pumps and our pump stations are run entirely on electricity, so their electrical systems are without electricity, they cease to operate. So we would be unable to supply water. And the alternative options to provide um, electricity to those stations uh, is very limited given the size of the electricity demands that each of those pump stations has. So unfortunately there, there may be a situation where we're, we're unable to deliver water. Um, certainly we're doing everything within our power to mitigate that, to reduce the risk of that and at this time we, we believe that's 
likely to occur that we, that we can control it. But look there, if the South Australian Power Networks are unable to supply power, that could leave us in certain locations unable to supply water. And that would be for as long as the electricity was off. SA Power Network's Head of Corporate Affairs, Paul Roberts, ending that story from Eliza Burlar. There's a lot going on when it comes to water and electricity in South Australia at the moment. But uh, we'll find out what is on the horizon weather-wise. Heading to the Bureau of Meteorology with Senior Forecaster Tom Bowick this afternoon. Good afternoon. Hello, Cassie. Now, I would not expect it to be a top of 14 degrees in Perilla at this time of year, but that is what it is. <laughs> this weather, mm. it's still cold. What's going on? Yes, uh, significantly below average temperatures throughout the state for today uh, um, of the order of uh, 6 to 10 degrees below average for the estimate for the maxima for the state and uh, the reason for that is after the change on the weekend we've had this high pressure system move uh, uh, in from the west and it's got a really quite deep southerly airstream um, moving over South Australia uh, and uh, yeah there's been sort of snow in Tasmania and there's a, there's a cold pool sort of moving up through that area as well so certainly we're getting some of that colder air uh, as well. Um, as far as any showers go for today, it's, it's sort of cloudy in the uh, over the agricultural area and into the south of the pastoral districts there in that cool airstream. Uh, and there are some isolated showers or a few showers around for the uh, agricultural area as well. They're, they're mostly pretty light, although there is a few spots uh, uh, down in the, um, I guess, southwest Murraylands where, where they've had sort of uh, a, a little bit more in the, in the way of rainfall uh, through those areas with um, uh, 6.2 millimetres at, at Burwood and 5 millimetres at Inverbracky, 3.8 millimetres at Macclesfield since 9am. So some higher totals are in through there. Now um, the showers will continue to ease back um, uh, this afternoon and evening such that by the evening we should just have some isolated showers left for the southern agricultural area. And into Wednesday, perhaps still still some of those isolated showers for the southern ags, but uh, they'll be clearing during the afternoon. Uh, that'll leave us with the rest of the state being dry, apart from in the very far northwest of the state when there is expected to be some shower and possible thunderstorm activity developing, uh, but not till the late afternoon and evening. Temperatures will be a little um, up from uh, today for Wednesday, so it uh, looks like being generally sort of cool in the south, grading to warm in the far north and far west, so temperatures probably only up by a couple couple of degrees so still below average temperatures uh, into um, Thursday then uh, start to see this next sort of low pressure trough approaching the um, western border of South Australia um, Western Australia there uh, and uh, with that some showers and possible thunderstorms uh, look like extending to areas to the west of about Sejuna to Cooper Pedy so the rest of the state will be remaining dry temperatures will be up uh, a reasonable jump there such that they'll be mild in the south grading to warm to hot in the north and west uh, and look, there is actually a possibility of some severe thunderstorm activity in the west of the state uh, on Thursday. So, uh, um, yeah, we'll be west of Sejuna to Coober Pity, probably a little bit further west than that, closer to the, I guess, closer to the border um, and, and extending maybe up to about sort of Thales Bay, uh, that sort of thing. So uh, um, some, some activity out through there is expected. Um, into into Friday, then the trough 
does move further east, so uh, uh, we're expecting uh, those showers, of course, to be extending from the west then, but they'll be tend to ease somewhat as they move into the eastern districts uh, for the late afternoon or evening period, and there'll, there'll be thunderstorms in the west as well, extending eastwards. Could reach areas um, west of about a line through Kingscote to Lee Creek by late evening, uh, and there is a possibility of some severe thunderstorms for the west coast and northwest pastoral districts. Uh, and a warmer day coming up generally on Friday. For Saturday, the showers and thunderstorms will be um, for most districts again, clearing in the northwest. Uh, winds look like be northeast and northwesterly, but there will be a cooler, fresh to strong and gusty west to southwesterly change in the west early morning, which will extend eastwards to reach eastern districts in the afternoon there. Um, the longer term period for Sunday to Tuesday, look, uh, showers over the agricultural area and near, and near western coasts following that change there. Uh, dry further to the north. Uh, winds will be quite fresh to strong and gusty west to southwesterly, probably tending to ease on Tuesday and, and back to cooler conditions for Sunday to Tuesday. Now, the rainfall totals until the end of Saturday, expecting 2 to 10 millimetres, but less than 2 millimetres for the far northeast, so generally, but some totals increasing to 10 to 30 millimetres for the agricultural area, the Air Peninsula, the west coast and the northwest pastoral district with some isolated high falls of 30 to 50 millimetres possible with thunderstorms there, Cassie. Thanks for that, Tom Bowick there with the weather. In the far west, it will be partly cloudy, temperatures getting down to 7 to 11, but reaching about 18 to 23 degrees. You're listening to The Country Hour. I'm Cassie Huff, live from Perilla. More to come in the next half hour. You're listening to The Country Hour. For more stories from across the country, go to abc.net.au slash rural. On ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill, this is Cassie Huff. Cassie Huff. Hello, I'm so glad you could join me on my road trip today. I've hit the Mallee Highway about two and a half hours east of Adelaide on the main road between Melbourne and Adelaide near a town called Perilla. Now, driving out here, there were still some pretty heavy grey skies set off by the golden wheat crops, but... Uh, the wheat is not the crop that we are going to be talking about for the next half hour, but potatoes. Now, potatoes are quite well known in this part of South Australia. It's one of the, the big potato growing areas of the region. And uh, this, the largest potato producing facility of its kind in the Southern Hemisphere has been opened here today. It's been operating for a little while, but it was officially opened today, this $45 million potato processing facility. And I'll tell you bit about why it's been built here so far from a major centre like Adelaide or Melbourne, why they've decided to build this big facility here and what it means to the region as well as uh, the people that it has brought to this southern Mallee area of South Australia as well because believe it or not, South Australia is actually the largest potato producing state so potatoes are very important to this state and I'll tell you a little bit more about some of the innovative work that is being done here in the southern Mallee soon but we'll find out what's making news first with Matt Coleman. Good afternoon. Hello Cassie. In the news this afternoon, fresh crews from New South Wales will be on the ground today to help restore power to residents across the state. A major storm on Saturday wiped 163,000 customers from the grid. Under 12,000 are still affected in both regional and metro areas. 
Electronet says wind farms and commercial solar farms in SA will likely need to be switched off temporarily from Thursday for the sake of the power grid. It's because the interconnector south of Talum Bend, which connects SA to Victoria, was damaged in Saturday's storms and without it the state cannot export its surplus energy. The predicted sunny conditions on Thursday mean that household solar power is also expected to be switched off. And a man who murdered another man at Murray Bridge almost three years ago in what a court has heard was a barbaric and brutish act has been jailed for at least 19 years. 52-year-old David James Russell, known as Crazy Dave, has been given a life sentence for bashing Oliver Todd to death in December 2019. More news at one o'clock. Thanks for that, Matt Coleman there. There'll be more news at one o'clock. Now, as I was saying, I am in the southern Mallee area that is quite famous for its potatoes. And uh, there's a lot of potato activity here at uh, the Perilla at the Pie Groups facility where I am broadcasting from today. Now, uh, they are the Pie Group are one of Australia's leading potato producers. And this is the opening of a $45 million 15,000 square metre warehouse. Now, I'd say it's possibly the size of a, a football field and there is a lot of activity going on there at the moment. Uh, we've been on a bit of a tour around and you're going to meet Renee Pye, who is the Deputy General Manager of the Pye Group. Good afternoon. Hey, how you going? I'm well, thank you. So this is a big day. This has been, what, two years in the making? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. We started in uh, November 2019, so um, has taken longer than what we thought, but that's what happens when a pandemic gets thrown into the mix of things. And a lot of rain as well, I can yes. imagine, yep. slowed things up as well. Now, I, it's hard to really get your head around a 15,000 square metre warehouse, which is really just off the highway, off the Mallee Highway, but it, it's hidden behind some trees. You, you open, you drive into your driveway and it opens up into these huge sheds. Just how much activity is going on here? Yeah, no, so um, we've probably got between 200 and 300 employees on site here, whether they're on the farm or here at the head office, but there's a lot of buzz, lots of things happening between the two onion and potato packing sheds. And we saw the um, uh, potatoes being dropped off and then run through their uh, the various washing stages and, and grading stages. For people who might not have been able to, to see it like I did this morning, can you take people through what you're actually doing here and what makes it the largest facility of its kind in the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah, so it's the largest facility of its kind because of the roof. So it's under one roof. Um, we've also got some other big packers in South Australia, like you said before, one of the biggest states for growing and packing potatoes. Um, so yeah, if you're sort of visioning the process, um, we wash and pack about 300 tonne of potato a day across six days a week. So it goes through a washing process like a rinse and a polish and a cool. Five times. Yeah. They get washed five times. Yeah, around about five times. So <laughs> um, there's lots of water and water going through the process all at the same time. And then they get sized at the end of the line and they go through a grading machine, which um, has a series of cameras that are taking pictures of every spud as it goes through. They're taking about 30 pictures per potato. And then that's sort of programmed onto a line to say pack a two kilo generic bag or a one kilo baby small bag and then that goes through the process of being packed put into crates and then onto the palletizer 
it's a lot of potatoes that are going through this system. What sort of a year has it been for your farm here when it comes to potato production? It has been very wet. Yeah, no, it has been wetter than usual. Um, you can see that with the grain crops as well. Um, but it has been a good year for us. So um, we've had a good growing year with the mild conditions and the wet conditions. And we've been able to pack all the product that we've had in the ground and distribute it through to the supermarkets and the markets around Australia. Your family's been growing potatoes here for more than 50 years, I believe. 30, oh. 35 years. 35 yeah, years, oh, I got a bit years. excited. <laughs> but uh, you, you did have processing facilities on the Northern Adelaide Plains where you bought uh, some, pro- some processing capacity there. But you've shifted a lot of that to Perilla, which is really, I mean, I had to say the middle of nowhere. It could also be the centre <laughs> of everywhere. But uh, why did you decide to move that uh, processing capacity here to Perilla? It's definitely been called the middle of nowhere a few times. <laughs> it's an awesome place out here. There's great communities. Um, so, yeah, essentially we do probably 95 to 90% of our production of potato growing out here and we were shipping up to 12 trailers of potatoes every day to Virginia, which didn't make sense. That's about three hours on the road, three and a half hours. Um, so it made a lot more sense to build our packing facility here and save on the mileage on the road and the emissions that we're putting out as well and also the freshness and the quality of that product too it's not traveling three hours on a 45 degree day because we do get those here in south australia not um, today <laughs> remarkably but... very cold here today <laughs> um but yeah i mean in terms of things it just made sense for us to build the packing facility here there was really only one marker that came up that was going to be difficult and that was getting labor absolutely and that is a challenge for just about every industry, not just agricultural industry, but definitely agriculture, particularly when you're coming to an area like Perilla where there is a lower workforce. You had to put in quite a lot of effort to attract workers here. What have you done? Yeah, so um, sort of in hand with bringing people to the community, you need to build accommodation. So there also isn't a lot of accommodation in the Mallee region. So we have built 27 houses family styled houses so three bedroom two bathroom houses across both Lamaru and Pinaroo and that has been something that has attracted those families to move from Adelaide or Murray Bridge out to the Mallee region um, and then we've also been working with um, sort of community groups like Lamaru Ford and trying to get people introduced into the community and get involved in a few things that have been happening around the place as well which I'm sure Nicole spoke about earlier today. We will be hearing from, from Nicole soon. But uh, you, what did you say? You had about three, 400 people who, who work for Pie Group? Yeah, so we've got around 450 employees in total and we've probably got about 250 here in the Mali region. And you also got about uh, uh, 40, was it, odd people who moved across from Adelaide to Perilla to be a part of this. What was it, do you think, that attracted them to to coming here beyond just the work because there's lots of work around at the moment. So what made them want to come here? Yeah, no, there's definitely plenty of work. Um, I think they were probably keen to stay with the same company that they had been with in the previous years. Um, hopefully we've shown that we're a great work place to work for and that they enjoy working for us. And then I think some people actually looking to come out to the country instead of being in the city. They were keen to, for some fresh air, get involved in a more tight-knit, community and have a nice time and raise their children out here. Have you had to bring in anyone from overseas? Uh, Yes. So we have brought some people in from overseas, a lot of labourers. So we've um, become a part of the PLS workforce, which is now called the Palm Scheme. 
um, we got around 40 people across from Papua New Guinea who are living in sort of backpacker-style accommodation and they've been working throughout the farm and in the packing sheds. I'm speaking to Renee Pai, who is the Deputy General Manager of Pai Group, which is the organisation that is growing and processing and selling potatoes based out of uh, Perilla in the, the southern Mali. So you've got all your workers here. You've, I know you've been operating this facility for a little while, but how do you feel now after all this effort has gone into creating what is a massive facility? How does it feel to finally have it officially open? Relieved. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's awesome and it's really exciting for the region as well to have something like this opening up in the Mallee and we just hope that it will continue for our business to have more success in the future and be able to deliver those sustainable brands like Spud Light that we've got. This is a a big facility already, but do you have any other plans to grow or perhaps I shouldn't suggest that perhaps you've done (laughs) enough growth for the last two years? I think Dad might head for the table if you tell him that we want to continue to expand with different (laughs) things. But we've definitely got sort of visions to expand the business in the future, um, get into more export, build some more brands that we've got as well. Speaking of export, you just came back from Bangkok. You were there talking vegetables. What was uh, the main gist of the conversation you were having over there? Yeah, no, it was really good at Bangkok. Quite exciting in regards to Australian fresh produce. It's regarded really, really highly over there with the Asian countries. We had a lot of interest in exporting of onions and potatoes and um, our smaller bags like the 350 gram or 500 gram bag into those countries into the major supermarkets over there so um, quite a successful trip definitely need to pop our face up a few more times there before they get to know us and they want to take orders but definitely on the right path. What is it that gives you confidence to build such a big facility here? It's a $45 million facility. You did get a $2 million grant from the state government's regional growth fund to, to get it all up and running, but you've put in a lot of investment. Your, your, your family, the, the Pi Group, has put in a lot of investment themselves here. What is it that gives you the confidence to go forward, particularly given how high input costs are at the moment? Yeah, so um, I think our staff, they're amazing. They are so excited about the facility that we've got and the future that we have got going forward. I think if you didn't have those sorts of people backing you in spending this money and having these ideas, then you would think a bit more reservedly about what you're doing. Um, And also like the region, what's happening in the community and how much is going on here as well in the Mallee region with some other big businesses in play. Um, And then obviously with the help of the government, I think we probably would have not done it if we didn't have that help and support from the government as well. But uh, there is a lot of demand, I can imagine, for potatoes. Uh, I know people notice it. If potatoes aren't there, they're one of the, the key vegetables that people do notice. So uh, I'm sure there's uh, – you, what sort of demand are you seeing from uh, the consumer as well? Yeah, no, we're definitely seeing healthy demand from the consumer. And it's potatoes are something that are always on the shelf, like you said, 12 months of the year. They're there and – you know, they're not super expensive either. A two kilo bag at $7.50, that's going to last you a week. It's a great staple product that's on the shelf 24-7 and you can do 20,000 amazing dishes with it. I did actually have a Christmas in uh, Ireland a few years ago where they had five different types of potato. <laughs> well, <laughs> well potato done Christmas. five ways. That's your Christmas as well. Yep. Yep. It was potato baked. There were roast potatoes. There was uh, uh, princess potatoes, which I hadn't had before. <laughs> yeah, you can do so much with the potato. And they, they, are, you got, they call them the humble spud, but they, they really are such a remarkable vegetable. Yeah, no, and they cover all cultures like anyone is using them. If you look all over the world, there's plenty of people eating spuds. And you have a lot of cultures here. 
can you give people a sense of what sort of range of cultures you have working for you here as well? Yeah, so we've got um, quite a diverse work team here. So we've got people from India, Bangladesh, um, Papua New Guinea, there's Australians, South Africans. I have probably missed a whole heap, but (laughs) there's a lot of different cultures here and it's how we work as a business and it works really well. Everyone's really happy working together. Yeah, well, it was certainly remarkable going through, seeing all the different stages and uh, the the way it gets graded and all the different ways that uh, I think I think we worked out there were about fifty different no, was it fifty different bins that you or different lines that you could actually uh, deliver your potatoes into different uh, sections that they could be sectioned off into. Yeah, so there's thirteen lines across the whole part, but then within that we can pack probably another five lines within that, whether it's a um, large supermarket brand or whether it's specials that you're selling to the markets. It's a, a, there's a lot of activity going on here at Perilla at the Pie Group. So uh, thank you so much, Renat. I know you're very busy today with your opening. So thank you for taking me through some of the work that you're doing here at uh, your farm here, the Pie Group. No, thanks for having us and thanks for coming out. That was Renee Pie, who is the Deputy General Manager of the Pie Group here at Perilla. Now, we were talking about potatoes. They are an absolute staple on the uh, Australian plate, uh, I think. I, my father could live on potatoes and lamb. Um, that He would not have much required. I don't know, he'd be terribly healthy, but uh, he could actually live on uh, just those two food products. But he's not alone. Potatoes are a very important food in Australia. And Jordan Brook Barnett is the CEO of Ausveg South Australia. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. And uh, so... Looking at potatoes, it has been a wet season, as Renee Pye mentioned there. What has that meant for potato supply? Well, there's been some immediate challenges that have occurred. We, we typically dig at this time of year from Virginia on the Northern Adelaide Plains, and it has been quite wet up there. Um, but that's right across the, the board in, in horticulture. Um, you know, we're a bit fortunate because leading into um, the current environmental factors, we'd had a pretty good season over winter. Um, you know, the greenhouse producers, potato growers, reporting you know good crops through through the latter end of last year and, and, and through the winter. So it's it's just a uh, a particular challenge right now. Um, it's hard to get machinery in. It's hard to get um, uh, the potatoes dug. But um, as you'll see here today, you know we're, the the growers are persevering. The, the the trucks aren't stopping, and the pallets are still moving. So um, it's something that challenges our industry. But uh, consumers shouldn't expect to see too much disruption at the store level. So there's not really a, a shortage of fresh potatoes, but uh, from a processing point of view, what's happening? Um, have heard of some challenges, but again, you know, with these things, um, you know, those those sorts of sorts of products are very competitively priced. Big companies involved, um, you know, certainly they've been well reported challenges. Most of them interstate, um, you know, both you know in terms of commercial negotiations and 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 things. I mean, the processes themselves would be better place to talk about those, but. Um, but certainly, you know, with, with production, we still maintain a strong, strong base here. So um, sort of yet to be seen, but, um, but you know, certainly with, with Australia, often, often the fear of some of these things is, 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 is out, of, out, of, out of scope with the reality. Um, you know, we're pretty good in agriculture getting product to the table. So certainly in the fresh market, um, wouldn't anticipate, you know, major issues, but it certainly has been a, a hard start to the season for a lot of our producers. Um, and a lot of the main crops we grow, like greenhouse, produce and um, potatoes. Absolutely. And you mentioned that uh, there are other products being grown at the moment. I spoke to uh, Anthony Diesso and a few other growers yesterday following the storms and there's been hail around as well, just broadly looking across South Australian vegetable production. How are things going? Um, 
yeah, it's safe to say times are times are pretty tough, but but people are are persevering at the markets. Um, you know, I think you know when you say at the consumer level, I mean a lot of the produce is still getting to market. Um, you know, things just just might be dealing with a degree of damage and things like that. I mean, we we're sort of a bit of a prisoner in 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 Australia to the high high um, um, cosmetic standards. So often those are the things that get varied at times like this. You might see things like spring onions that might have hail damage and a little bit of a bit of that. And the supermarkets are generally pretty good um, in letting a bit more of that produce through because um, you know the last thing you want to see is um, you know em, em, empty empty stores and things like that. But you know we I don't think the consumers are really going to notice it. But but for us in ag, um, you know certainly a challenging time. Um, but it's been a challenging um, sort of year for us. I think um, you know the degree of uncertainty with which growers face, you know, in terms of fertilizer costs, fuel costs, transport. Um, you know, we've, we've been relatively lucky with, with buoyant market prices for the past year in a lot of our commodities. But um, just juggling a lot of the variables right now in farming, I'm having a lot of um, my stakeholders say it's been um, been harder than ever, and that's why. You know, you see growers like today at the um, the pie group. They're investing hard in automation so that they can they can have the best available technology to manage modern farming. And how important is this facility? Do you think for the future of the industry? I know it's it's one business, but it's a big facility here. Well, potatoes are really they're one of the jewels in the crown of, of South Australian horticulture. They're one of the largest commodities. You know, combine them with with our onion production, carrot production in the state. Um, you know, and we're a big player, um, probably outsized, you know, due to our, due to our size as a state. Um, you know, we also punch above our weight in greenhouse production. Um, you know, we have the largest protected cropping industry in the Southern Hemisphere. We have a great potato industry. Um, you know, it's really, really important to underpin, you know, our competitive place within Australia. Um, you know, just walking through this facility, you could see the orders going up there on the, on the computerised ordering system. And it was stores, you know, in Brisbane, in Sydney, um, in New South Wales. And, and, and you look at what we what we can do as a as a player in the potato industry we've got a number of, of of major major players that you know provide great regional employment outcomes and i think um you know particularly with this business you look at what what they've done to to revitalize the the, the township of lamaru it's absolutely inspirational you know in terms of the money that's spent in the local community the investment in housing um so it's really i i I have yet to see um, a facility as impressive as this in, in, in Australia. Um, you know, so we're up there now you know, with this facility with some of the big players in Queensland. So, look, I think, I think it's an inspiration to the entire industry. Um, you know, it shows to our partners in government and the, the, the broader community you know, what horticulture can achieve. Um, you know, and the fact that you know, horticulture in our state is big business. We're a big employer. For every job in horticulture, there's another 1.2 or so in the local economy. Um, you know, we're big spenders in supply chain. Um, we're high volume, low turnover, but our, our, our contribution is, is, is really strong. Um, and what you have here is an example of a single business that, that, that's come and you can see the, the impact that it's had on a local community. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I know you've had a bit of a tour around. I'll let you keep going, but it is certainly a, a big uh, event for the horticulture industry in South Australia. Thank you so much, Jordan Brook Barnett. Thank you. CEO of Ausveg SA, Jordan Brook Barnett. Now, uh, as we were talking about, it's a massive facility here that has drawn a lot of workers to this part of the world. And uh, as a result, there's been a lot of work going in to try and integrate people into the community. And so I was able to catch up with Nicole McMahon, who is the chairperson of Lamaru Forward, uh, to talk about some of the work that's being done here to integrate people. Good afternoon. Hi, Cassie. Thanks for having me. So you've just had a bit of a tour around this facility. What do you think? 
I am gobsmacked. It's incredible. Um, and I'm even more, I, I guess, a little bit proud that it's kind of in a back back door um, step here in Lamoury or Perilla, I should say. Um, it's absolutely mind-boggling um, just all the what goes into getting a spud on the dinner table. And your, your son Ned might have a bit of a cameo here today as well. Um, what sort of work does Lamoury Forward do? So we're really, we're just a body that represents um, Lamaroo. We take on projects that we see will, you know, help our town thrive. Um, And it's quite varied, really. Everything from some arts and events. Um, We've got a big silo art project. Um, We've got a welcoming group for for new new, um, families and people that come to Lamaroo. Um, So lots of little things. uh, We've been going, you know, a few years now, uh, probably only three years, but it was just we could see this real space for the need of a group like Lamaroo for just to take on these little projects. Um, yeah, as I said, just to take Lamaru forward, I guess, um, and make our town all that it can be. And it certainly is moving forward. You've had a lot of people who perhaps have never lived out of a capital city before move to Perilla for this project to, to work here at the Pie Group. What sort of things are you doing to help integrate them into the community? Well, I think... <laughs> That space there is still huge in what we have got to do as a group. Um, getting these new families integrated is so important. Um, as you said, coming from a city, it's a big jump to come out here to the Southern Mallee. Um, just, you know, the different resources, the different services. So we really want to help get them integrated. So far, we've had a welcoming uh, group established and they have put together a beautiful book um, which was quite a lot of work just detailing all the services um, in the area, all the different businesses, um, the sporting groups, community groups, things like that. And we had um, someone personally go and deliver those. Um, But I think there's still a lot of work to do, you know. I think something we really love here in the country is sport um, and getting those families and the the kids involved in that is a great way to, you know, get them a part of, I guess, our culture out here. Um, So I think, yeah, as I said, there's still a huge space in in getting those families involved um, and the kids Um, and something I'm really excited and passionate for. And sport has been a a big topic here in the Southern Mallee. You did lose your local competition, but uh, you are able to still play. You've just joined another league. It does mean driving a few hours for people around this area. What's happened? Yes, so it was a huge event which has happened over just the last few months. Um, So our Mallee League unfortunately folded um, and our which meant our Lamaru and Pinnery, we both had um, individual clubs. Um, so we've actually amalgamated, which is really exciting. We're traditionally arch rivals, but we had to do a, a lot of work, trying not to swear, <laughs> a lot of work over basically a six-week program um, to get together, work out, you know, what's the best for our communities to take sport forward, netball and football. Um, and to quote my pop, who's, I think he's about 95, he said, this is almost, you know, this is almost the saddest thing he thought to happen to our region, to lose possibly netball and football. Um, you know, and he's been through depressions and wars, so <laughs> not to say that's definitely um, accurate, but it was a really big deal, really worrying for us. But no, Lamaru and Pinaru were amalgamating, heading to the River Murray League, um, which is based around Murray Bridge, which is really exciting um, for us. We're really positive about the future. They've opened us with open arms. So it's still looking bright. We're still going to have some, you know, local footy and netball. Um, Ned's really excited. <laughs> I think we're all so passionate about it for our kids. Um, and it's, you know, definitely a space we want to try to get these new families who might not traditionally be involved in sport. Um, we think it's a great way to get them, yeah, involved in a part of our community.
Sport is a great way to get people together. Um, and not just footy, what about cricket or, or other sports they may be more familiar with? Yeah, um, there has been a bit of talk about cricket because I think there's a few budding cricketers um, and just, I guess we've just got to work out they possibly work shifts that collide with our traditional Saturday afternoon cricket. So we're kind of thinking about other ways around that and how we can, you know, make sure that they can still come out um, and play because it's more than just, you know, your physical exertion and, and that type of thing. It's it's a mental health side of it that I think you get from being involved in a team sport, um, you know, from yeah, integrating in the community, getting to know people. Um, and it's also for the spectators, you know, getting out there to, to watch. It's, it's, it um, encompasses so much being involved in sport in the country. So, no, cricket's a big one. Um, and, you know, our, our local teams are struggling. Lamaroo um, struggled to get a team together this year. So we, we really need these, these guys involved and girls. So, um, no, watch this space. It's definitely something we're going to um, keep working towards. I'm sure you'll end up with a cracking team soon. You also mentioned before a silo art project. Now, we know how popular silo art is right across this country. What are the plans? Uh, big plans um, and we're actually we're shovel ready like we've been working really hard over the last probably 18 months now um, to uh, toward this project so we're basically at the stage now of just trying to um, apply for funding and grants uh, so we've had we've had a solo artist out he's met with the community um, we actually came out here to, to pies to have a look at potatoes because the, the potatoes and the underground water is a huge um, part of, of the southern Mallee. So um, we, yeah, our grand plan is to paint our two silos. They are smack bang. I'm sure you drove through Lamaroo. They're right in the centre of Lamaroo. They're an um, absolute jack's, jackpot of a spot, really. It's like they'll put there to be painted. So we would love to see some artwork there. Um, something that, uh, the artwork will be something that, you know, celebrates Lamaroo um, and Perilla and Pinaroo and the Southern Mallee and our identity. Um, it's just got huge potential for our community and we'd love to get it off the ground. Um, but it is, yeah, quite an ambitious project. Um, we've had a lot of uh, local businesses um, uh, promise to contribute to the um, project, but we just need that little bit more. So we're just doing the um, the fun grant writing and fund um, uh, looking at part of it. Sorry, Ned's just, Ned's really excited too, as you can hear, my... My five months old. <laughs> I'll let you go. I know you have to keep moving, but uh, it sounds like you've got a lot of things on the go. There's a lot happening here in the Southern Mallee. So thank you so much for stopping by. What is it, a big event for the region? It is, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Nicole McMahon, chairperson of the Lamaru Forward Group. Now, very quickly before I let you go, Priya Hawani has stopped by. She's very busy today, but she's one of the workers who has come from Adelaide out to Perilla to work for the Pie Group out here. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon. What was it that attracted you to come to Perilla? Yeah, actually, it's a new project and it's a very like big uh, industry here. So we have got good opportunity to work with Pi Group. And my husband is here, supervisor, and I'm here in, with sales role. So they've given us good opportunity to work with them. Yeah. And it's, you have a, a child as well. Yeah, How I have. Have yeah, you I found moving? Yeah, to I have, the we have moved with my. Yeah, we have moved with my family. I have my four-year-old daughter. She is going to kindy in the uh, Cox, and yeah, and she's enjoying here. Teachers are very welcoming, and they are. Uh, really helping us to stay back and with, uh, with my daughter and, yeah. and get to know the community yeah and what's uh, been your favorite thing so far about moving to yeah because people are very kind and they just uh, wherever wherever we go they welcome us very nice and uh, uh, and we they have helped us a lot here yeah and we we feel very comfortable in, in with them yeah community is very good here yeah 
And do you feel like you're going to have good career progression as well? Yeah, obviously we have just we have seen uh, growth in this one year uh, far, rather than being in Adelaide. Yeah, and it's very peaceful place in Lemaru. So uh, when we go to Adelaide, it's a bit of traffic <laughs> and also we we are very happy here. Enjoying yeah. country <laughs> yeah. life. And well, well, I'm sure the, the community is very glad yeah, you've moved very, here. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. That's yeah. all we have time for in the program yeah, today. That's yeah. We're broadcasting from. Perilla, there's more to come on your ABC local radio as we approach Thanks. one Thanks o'clock. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thanks, okay. Priya. Thanks. Leading news and current affairs. There are so many ways to keep informed. On air, online, on the ABC Listen app, ABC Radio South Australia, and Broken Hill. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio, and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.